0: to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: Now, when he brings the soul into existence, he speaks it into existence out of nothing. But here's the thing about this that's so important to realize. It shows us that man is not a material being predominantly, but that we have a consciousness. We have an immaterial part of us that is not connected to our physical, material
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Genesis, chapter 1, verses 1 through 25, in a message titled, The Days of Creation. Now here's Pastor Brian.
1: When you look at the complexity, when you look at how all of these systems are interrelated, when you, you know, again, we, we go out into the forest, we go on vacation, maybe to a, a, a lush area, maybe you go to the Hawaiian Islands or somewhere, you see all of this greenery and all that, and it's beautiful for sight, and we've already talked about the food element, but do we realize that without this stuff, we wouldn't even be breathing? That all of this system is, is working together together it again testifies to the reality of a great mind behind it. And we know who that great mind is. It's the Lord. See, this is what many people either don't understand or fail to accept is that the processes that we have presently occurring are not the processes that were occurring when God created everything. That was a unique moment A six-day period in history, and everything changed after that moment. But God created, as we see here, he created all of these things in a full-grown state. In verse 14, then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let there be signs and seasons And for days and years, let them be for signs and seasons, days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so, then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw That it was good. And so now we come to the fourth day. And God makes. And the word make here is a different. Remember the, the Hebrew word that we looked at a while back. The Hebrew word bara. God created. He created out of nothing. We'll come to that word again in a moment. But here is a different Hebrew word. Asa. Which means that God is forming out of existing material. So he forms now the sun and the moon. And the stars. And that light that was originally there for the first three days, he now diverts that or whatever he does at this point, but now the the sun becomes the source, and of course the moon reflects the light of the sun, and then you have the light of the stars. But notice what it says. It says that, that these are for signs, seasons, days, and years. For signs, seasons, days, and years. For signs. Some believe the various star formations that we know today as as the Zodiac, some believe that those star formations originally told the story of redemption. And among the ancient Hebrews, there was writing about the Maseroth. And the Maseroth was, in the thinking of many, kind of the the story of redemption in the stars. That's believed by some. But God definitely says that these things are for signs. When you read through the Old Testament, you find that the new moons were the sign of the time of Israel's appointed feast. And so that would be an application of the sign. You think also of what is called celestial navigation. You know, for centuries, sailors navigated the seas by reading the stars. That's how they understood where they were. That's how they got from place to place. So that could also fall under the category of signs. But then, for seasons. You know, it's interesting, and this is something I think to to always remember. We have knowledge and information today that 200, 300, maximum 500 years back and before, nobody really knew these things. We know them today. We more or less take all of this stuff for granted. But the things that we know to be true today in regard to seasons, for example, or days or years and the relationship with the sun and so forth, they didn't know that back then. But the authors of the Bible knew it. That's the astounding thing. How did they know this? How did Moses know these things? Well, he could have only known them because God communicated them to him. Nobody else knew these things. But for seasons, winter, spring, summer, autumn, all based on the earth's tilt on its axis and its rotation around the sun. Days, as you know, the day is based on the rotation of the earth on its axis. 24 hours is one full rotation. And a year, of course, is the time it takes the earth to make its revolution around the sun. And so these things are set in their place to give light on the earth and also for signs, seasons, days, and years. And then we come to verse 20, the fifth day. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply On the earth, so the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Now, some very significant things took place on the fifth day. First of all, notice this. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. Here is now the introduction of the soul. You cannot compare plants with animals or people. They're in different categories. Plants do not possess a soul or a consciousness. But the word here, living creature, is the word nefesh. And, and this is the word that speaks of the soul or the spirit. It speaks of the immaterial part of the creature, the immaterial part that animates the creature. And here's the interesting thing this is the second time in Genesis where the Hebrew word bara is used. So now God creates again in that sense of bringing something out of nothing. Up until this point, after verse one, he's been assembling existing material. Now, at this point, once again, when he brings the soul into existence, he speaks it into existence out of nothing. But here's the thing about this that's so important to realize it shows us that man is not a material being predominantly. It shows us that man and the animals as well, man is, of course, distinct even from the animals, but that we have a consciousness, we have an immaterial part of us that is not connected to our physical, material being. And you know why that's important? Because of psychological theories like determinism, And ideas that uh, you are nothing but the result of chemical reactions, the way you think, the way you feel, all of that stuff is, it's, you see, the materialist would say the animated part of us is really just another aspect of our physical constitution. What this is telling us is that, no, that's not true. God creates a separate thing that's separate from the body, from the material part of man, it's the immaterial aspect. And this is something the animals have, and of course, again, it's something that we have. And so, it's the living creature. It's this creature that has a consciousness, and here in, on the fifth day, it's the, the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Now it tells us here in verse 21 that God created great sea creatures. This is an interesting word here as well. The Hebrew word is tannin. And some translations I think actually read sea monsters. Some read whales. The word is most often translated, believe it or not, dragon. And I think what's really being communicated here more than anything, is that God created the great sea creatures, the great water dinosaurs. Now, there's all kinds of questions and debate and controversy about the dinosaurs, you know, when they lived and so on and so forth. Read Job 40 and 41, and you will realize that dinosaurs lived alongside of men. As a matter of fact, when God speaks of a particular Creature that I think is very obviously a dinosaur. God says an interesting thing. He says, now consider behemoth who I created along with you. Was God anticipating the idea that dinosaurs died out 365 million years before men ever arrived on earth? When he said, consider behemoth, I created him alongside of you. So, Great sea creatures, which, of course, would refer to the whales and the great megalodons and with the water dinosaurs and everything else in the water as well. And then, of course, here on the fifth day, the birds are created also. And then we come now to the sixth day. And then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to its kind, cattle, creeping things, beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And so God brings forth from the dust of the ground all of the animal life now. The cattle, which would probably be a reference to all domestic animals. The creeping things, which would be everything from the microbes, to the millipedes, to the mice, to the lizards. You know, as, as many of you know, it's astounding that there is this world of microorganisms. My son-in-law completed his master's degree in biology. And one day he was telling me about this little creature that lives in the stomach of a mosquito. <laughs> I didn't even know a mosquito had a stomach. But he's telling me about a creature that lives in the stomach of a mosquito, and he's, he's explained to me what this thing does. This is unbelievable. But there is this, this microscopic world, and here on the sixth day, When we read about the cattle, the creeping things, the beast of the earth, these things are included as well. But again, these are the things. I think if, you know, probably do all of us a world of good to, you know, take a few classes just to find out, to become more consciously aware of all of the activity that's going on around us, even though we can't see it, to realize again how this whole system is so perfectly woven together. I get the the magazine from Answers in Genesis, Answers, and I just received my most recent copy a couple of days ago, and I was reading in there uh, today about bacteria. And it was just amazing stuff, that bacteria are the things... That every everything is dependent on bacteria. I didn't know that. When I think of bacteria, I think get out the bug spray, or you know, <laughs> you, you got to kill this bacteria. And of course, there are some bacteria that you do have to kill, but most of the bacteria is good bacteria, and it's it's it serves this unbelievable purpose and. Just a little quote from the article there. It said, Bacteria are almost everywhere busily sustaining life in ways we rarely see or appreciate. God designed bacteria in many cases to make inaccessible atoms available to us. A matrix of bacteria works around the clock to provide many... Vital ingredients of life. And then, you know, it goes on and it just lists all of these different things that bacteria do that you realize if the bacteria were not doing these things, we would not be here today. So this whole system. So when we're talking about the creeping things, we're talking about these microbes. We're talking about the obvious creeping things that we can observe with our own eyes. But then we have the beast of the earth. And these are the different categories that God separates things into. And under this category, you would have the lions, the tigers, the elephants, the rhinos, but you would also have the land dinosaurs. Again, the Bible is, I I think, very straightforward and clear that dinosaurs and man coexisted. Once again, I refer you back to Job 40 and 41. But as we look at all of these things, a few things as we just wrap things up now. Remember, I pointed this out before, but I want to emphasize it again. Remember, here in the first chapter, we read this phrase 10 times after its kind. After its kind. This is the antithesis of evolutionary thinking. That everything reproduces after its own kind. Now, here's the reality. All of the present evidence supports what Genesis says. There is nowhere in the world, in all recorded history, where anybody has witnessed anything other than things reproducing after their own kind. You remember Darwin thought that he had evidence for evolution because of the the differences in the beaks of these finches in the Galapagos Islands. But what Darwin evidently didn't stop to think was that even though there were variations within the beaks, they were still finches. And that's that's the whole thing. Of course, we believe and we understand from the biblical record itself that God has created kinds, and within these kinds there's a tremendous amount of variation, but one kind cannot transfer to another kind. One kind cannot reproduce with another kind. So not only has there never been any of this type of thing witnessed by anybody, it's not there as it was believed to be in the fossil record either. And Darwin knew this. He knew that the fossil record would either confirm or refute his idea. And he was convinced, and so were the men of his generation, and so are people still today, that they would eventually find in the fossil record what you call a transitional form, a creature who is in a process of transition from one kind to another. And of course, back in the early days, they anticipated that there would be millions of such creatures. But lo and behold, to this very day, they have never found a single transitional form, not one. Why? Because there's no such thing. Because everything reproduces according to its own kind just like god said and you can breed and breed and breed and interbreed and outer breed and do any form of breeding you want but it's never going to happen because god established it this way as we close real quickly earth is the most unique place in all of the universe copernicus was the one who brought forth the idea which appears to be the truth, that the the earth is not the center of of the universe or or the solar system. And, you know, he showed that to be true physically, but the antagonists toward the faith have taken the ideas of Copernicus and, and basically what they have stated is that is the earth is not only at the center of the universe, the earth is, is an irrelevant planet. It's just a little dot in the middle of space, and they've relegated it to irrelevancy. But from the standpoint of what we know for sure, factually, in all that we know presently about the universe, all that we know about our galaxy, all that we know about our solar system... There is not another planet in all of the universe that we know of that has anything like we have on planet Earth. Now, of course, these guys are very optimistic. They're certain that they're going to find those other planets. And I was just reading in the news the other day, they're talking about we think we found Earth's twin planet. You know, they're always looking for life on Mars or something to. All of this is an effort to, uh, you know, refute what the scripture says, to undermine the idea that the earth is a special place, that man is a special creature made in the image of God and so forth. But if you just look at the facts, earth is the most unique place in the universe. Real quickly, earth is just the right distance from the sun. Exactly the right distance from the sun. If it were any closer or further, or if there was one percent more or less energy, the earth would be too hot to live on, or it would be completely covered in ice. The earth is tilted at 23 degrees. Without the tilt, the poles would be colder, the equator would be much hotter, and we would have half as much land as we do. Most of the plants and animals on the earth would die. The earth is just the right size. A smaller earth would result in weakened gravity. It could not hold either our air or water. Larger earth, atmosphere pulled closer to the surface, life could not exist. The earth's relation to the moon If the distance between the earth and the moon were any different or now they've realized if the size of the moon were any larger or smaller, life could not exist on earth. And what is said regarding planet earth, knowing what we know about the other planets, is that from the observational standpoint, they refer to planet earth as the friendly planet. It looks like the place you'd want to visit. It looks like the place you'd want to go on vacation. You know, imagine that. You're going to go on vacation. You go down to your local uh, space shuttle center. And, you know, they've got all the planets laid out there. You know, there's Venus and Jupiter and Mars and all the places. And, hey, I'm going to go to Earth. You know, look at that place. It's blue. It's white. It's green. It looks inviting. It's called the friendly planet. It is the friendly planet. The Earth is unique because God made it to be the home of man. He made it to be our home. He also made it to become the place where his son would eventually come, live, labor, suffer, and die in order to display his glory and his love. And if nothing else, maybe this was just a bunch of rambling tonight, but if nothing else, when you look up into the sky, and you consider the heavens. Remember, they are the work of his fingers. But he's thinking about you. He's thinking about me. And his thoughts toward us, get this. A billion, billion galaxies. How many stars in those galaxies? We couldn't even count it. But his thoughts toward us are more in number than the stars in the heavens and the sand on the sea. And... To even make it greater, they're all good thoughts. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of good, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's something to get excited about. That's something to rejoice in.
0: this Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Bullies and Saints, an honest look at the good and evil of Christian history by John Dixon. With all the violence, oppression, and bigotry that has been carried out in the name of Jesus throughout church history, many today are questioning if Christianity is actually good. In his book Bullies and Saints, John Dixon takes a critical look at the history of the Christian church, both the horrific and the honorable. Whether you're a Christian or an atheist, you will understand Christian history with the help of historian John Dixon through a balanced and honest examination of both the good and evil of church history. If you've ever struggled with the atrocities that have been committed by the Christian church, then you need to get this book, because the worst of church history is only half the story. The book, Bullies and Saints, An Honest Look at the Good and Evil of Christian History by John Dixon, is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics, so we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you